Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. As we begin today, just a quick programming note. We will not be, feel like I'm on network television, we will not be recording the message for the week of October 30th. I want to have a special word with the congregation on that day. Now, we will be going live on Facebook that morning, but I'm asking you if you're continuing to watch at home or if you are getting close to giving up on God, if you are thinking about checking out from the church, as many people are, we're seeing um, across the nation and around the world this great spiritual resignation. If you're considering that, if you're thinking with that, if you're playing with that idea, I want you to join me on October 30th. I want you to be here to worship in community and for us to have a very serious conversation about who God is and who he wants to be in our lives. So October 30th, I'm asking you to be here live and in person. I will be here live and in person. God will be here alive and in person. And I'm asking you to join me for worship. So let me take you back to 1958. There was a military exercise, a battle simulation going on off the coast of Savannah, Georgia. B-47 bomber collided with an F-86 fighter. Fighter crashed immediately. The bomber was crippled and barely airworthy. And so it had to jettison as much weight as possible. And so it dropped its 7,600-pound nuclear bomb. Yes, a nuclear bomb was dropped off the coast of Georgia. It landed somewhere near Tibby Island and buried in about a dozen feet of sand and silt. However, it's still there. And it's still there because the Army doesn't know exactly where it is. And what's, debate, what's debated is they know it had uranium on the bomb, so did it have the plutonium capsule to start a chain reaction? And so ultimately, eventually, here 60 years later, that bomb's still out there. So if you ever wanted to go to Savannah, Georgia, you might want to go now. One of two things is going to happen. Either decay will cause that nuclear material to leak and there will be radiation poisoning, or if there was plutonium on board, it will detonate and cause immense destruction, decay or detonation. Now, I tell you that story, not to frighten you, but to say that that's a pretty good picture of the world in which we live. It's a real pick-me-up today, isn't it? That's a picture of the world in which we live because sometimes it feels like the world is decaying around us. And sometimes it feels like the world is about to detonate right underneath us. Whatever's happening in our world right now doesn't feel good. And that's when we need help. That's when we need hope. That's when we need the gospel. That's when we need God. That's when we need to remember that there's somebody in the world in charge other than us. And this is where passages like Romans 8 come in really handy. And we'll be talking from that this morning. Romans 8 gives hope in a hopeless world. I mean, you just think about where it starts. Romans 8.1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, as a friend of mine says, God isn't mean. Uh, Romans 8.28, we know that all things work together for good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose, and that good that has worked in us as we are conformed to the image of Christ. Uh, Romans 8.37 says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Actually, that's 8.32. And 8.37 is, we know that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
And so while the world around us looks desperate, it looks like it is decaying, it looks like it is self-destructing, ultimately we trust in the goodness of God. But there's another passage in Romans 8 I want us to look at today that it's a little bit unmarked. We kind of skip past it. But I think it's actually the most remarkable part of this chapter. And as we read it this morning, as we walk through it, I want to give you that key for interpreting the Scripture, as I've reminded you many times. You look for words and phrases that repeat, and that repetition is usually the key point that the writer and God is trying to drive home. You'll see it here in just a moment. So this is Romans 8, verse 22, and this will lead us in a moment to talk about prayer. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So Paul here gives a picture of the world as we see it. Again, that decay and destruction, it is groaning. We look around and there's so much wrong with our world. Hurricanes that slam against the East Coast. We had a mission team that just returned from Philippines, from the Philippines, caring for young ladies who had been trafficked even before they hit their teenage years. Closer to home, there are children with tumors and young husbands that die. Uh, when Beethoven was 28 years old, he began to lose his hearing, so he cut off the legs on his piano. He put it on the floor so he could feel the vibrations of the piano as he wrote music. We live in a world that is broken where musical genius loses his hearing. We live in a world that is in pain. And creation seems to be groaning. But notice what Paul says here. The groaning as, is as someone who is in childbirth. What does that mean? We do live in a world of pain. But that pain is productive. And for those of you who have had a baby, you know the pain of childbirth, right? And it's a, it's a pain that's worth enduring because at the end of that, there's an incredibly beautiful baby waiting for you. The pain produces something and on a pain scale, I'm not making fun of this. I'm actually being honest and scientific with this. Hey, this is scientific. That the only time a man feels the kind of pain a woman does when she gives birth is when he passes a kidney stone. But you'll never see a man say, boy, that pain was worth it. Look what I got. Because the pain was just pain and it produced nothing. But when a woman goes through childbirth, it's a pain that produces something good. So what Paul says here, he says, creation groans. We live in a world of pain, but that pain is producing something good. What is it? That everything that happens in life can make us more like Christ. Some of you remember 1985, the earthquake that hit Mexico City, one of the hospitals that literally fell to the ground. It was completely demolished. They pulled four babies from the wreckage. Those babies had been in the rubble for a week without food, without water, without human contact. They're known as the miracle babies of Mexico City, or as they say in Spanish, they are the niños del sismos the children of the earthquake. Listen, we live in a world that seems to be falling down around us, but what will emerge from the rubble are sons and daughters of Christ. So creation is groaning. 
But this pain is not pointless. This pain will produce something. It will produce Christ in us. Now, Paul goes on. We know the whole creation is groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for the adoption of sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Remember I said you want to interpret Scripture by looking at words that repeat themselves. Well, here Paul uses the word groaning again. Creation groans. We groan. But I want you to notice the groaning that takes place here now is a groaning of anticipation as we await adoption. So it's interesting here that Paul used natural childbirth as a picture of what's happening. All of creation is groaning, but it's a pain that produces something. Now he uses uh, a child coming to a family by a different means, not physically, but coming into a family legally through adoption. And in this awaiting adoption, we groan inwardly in anticipation. And I've walked through many families over the years as they've gone through this. They already have the child. The child is in their home. They've had the child for days, weeks, even months. And then there comes that day when the final papers are signed. And they say, that child is finally ours. And until that day, until they go to the courthouse and sign the final documents, there's this sense of anticipation of something becoming complete. There's a groaning, if you will, this I can't wait until it finally happens. And so groaning, we live in a world of pain, destruction, decay, but it's a pain that produces something. And we groan, we anticipate, because we believe this is worth the wait. I want to stop here and deal with something theologically here that might blow your mind. Christians, we don't just believe in life after death, we believe in life after life after death. Let me say that again. We don't just believe in life after death. We, we believe that when a person dies here in Christ, that their spirit goes to be with the Lord. But we believe in life after life after death, that at the second coming of Christ, not only will our spirits be with the Lord, but our bodies will be resurrected and we will spend eternity with Him in a physical glorified body. We will be fully human fully restored in the presence of the one true God of the universe, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, praise His name. We not only believe in life after death, we believe in life after life after death, an eternity of being physically, spiritually, eternally present with God. And until then, we groan, we anticipate that day. There will be no more destruction or death or decay there will be only the presence of God. So two groanings. One, creation groans, but it's a pain that's producing something. We groan inwardly, but there's an anticipation that it's well worth the wait. So now what does all this have to do with prayer? It has everything to do with prayer. You know, we've turned prayer into a cliche in our culture. I mean, and you've seen it criticized over the last few years that when somebody posts something on social media and, and you, you tend to just post back thoughts and prayers, what in the heck does that mean? It's just a cliche. It means, 
I should think about you and I should pray for you, but I probably won't. We need to change a cliche into something that is absolutely critical, that thoughts and prayers become thinking, being in the presence of God and praying to Him about everything. And that word groaning is going to show up one more time. Verse 26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. So this brings us to the idea of prayer and how in a world of pain, a pain that's productive, in a world that we wait and we believe it's worth the wait, in all of our sense of hopelessness and helplessness in the world, we have this gift of prayer. But here's the problem. And in fact, Paul points out two problems that we have with prayer here in verse 26. We're weak. Sometimes we know we should pray, but we just can't seem to find the energy to do it. I'm flipping to my notes here because I don't want to misquote this. The animal with the largest mouth in all of creation is the bowhead whale. The bowhead whale, its mouth measures 16 feet long, 13 feet high, 8 feet deep. But here's the part I want you to get. Its tongue weighs, just its tongue, weighs 2,000 pounds. It's incredible. Its tongue weighs as much as a small compact car. Sometimes our tongues feel so heavy. We are overwhelmed by the world around us, and we lack the energy sometimes to pray. God knows. He knows our weakness. And not only do we deal with weakness, we also deal with ignorance. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know how we ought to pray. We look around at the world, and it seems so confusing. We don't even know what to pray. So get this, that we are overwhelmed, and we don't understand what's happening. So what this calls us to, I keep going back. I want to make sure you get the full context here. We live in a world of pain, but that pain has a purpose. We believe that all the pain will be well worth the wait. As creation groans, as, as we groan, God groans too. He groans with us. And what I invite you today is to a deeper form of prayer. That sometimes when you feel too exhausted to pray and you don't know what to pray, to move beyond just the prayer of your mind, praying the things you ought to pray, moving beyond the prayer of the lips, saying the things that you know you need to say, moving to the prayer of the heart and praying to God, as it says here in my translation, wordless groans or inarticulate feelings. So I want to apply this in two ways. One is something that you can do in prayer, and the other is something that God is doing for you in prayer. The first is this, groan to God. When you feel weak, when you don't know what to pray, when you feel overwhelmed and you don't understand what's going on, groan to God. I think one of the best prayers you can ever pray is this, a sigh. And God will understand. If you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about. That is, your babies are young. And I think mothers have a better sense of this than fathers do. A mother can hear a baby's cry and know if it's a cry of pain or hunger or anger. 
Moms are really good about just hearing a baby's cry. Now, to an outsider, to a stranger, it just sounds like a cry, but the mother can interpret that. I feel really shallow telling you this. I, I never was good at that with our kids, but I was good at that with our dog back when our dog was alive. I could tell by his bark in the backyard if he was just ready to come in or there was a critter on the back fence. We had a possum that would often walk our back fence, and I could hear his bark and know what was going on. It's good to know that my wife was in tune with the children and I was in tune with the dog, but God is in tune with you. And sometimes in our weakness, we feel like we can't pray. In our ignorance, we don't know what to pray for. And so we groan before God and He understands. In fact, um, several years ago, I did a, a teaching series called The Gospel According to the Beatles. Oddly enough, I have several people now who are wanting me to reprise that whole series to do it again. I can hear my worship team saying, please no. But if you remember the song, Hey Jude, it was a song that Paul McCartney wrote for John Lennon's son, Julian, as they were going through a divorce. And so he wrote this song as a song of comfort. And there's one line in it that John just put it there as a placeholder. Hey Jude, the movement you need is on your shoulders. And John, uh, excuse me, Paul told John, he said, I'm gonna change that lyric. I'm gonna clean that up. And John goes, no, don't change it. I know exactly what it means. And it's the best line in the song. Doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense to the rest of us, it made sense to John Lennon. There's some things you're going to say to God that won't make sense to anybody else. It's okay. God understands. Groan. Groan inwardly. God will get it. Then let God groan, not only with you, but let God groan over you. There comes times in prayer, and, and this is going to sound really mystical, and this is going to be, be sounding very strange to some of you, but there's times in prayer that you don't know what to say, so you groan before God, and maybe when you don't know what to say, it's a good time to be quiet and listen and let God, through inarticulate means, communicate to you. So my friend Richard Foster wrote this little story in his book on prayer. He said, one day a friend of mine was walking through a shopping mall with his two-year-old son. The child was in a particularly cantankerous mood, fussy and fuming, and the frustrated father tried everything to quiet his son, but nothing seemed to help. The child simply would not obey. Then, under some special inspiration, the father scooped up his son and holding him close to his chest began singing an impromptu love song. None of the words rhymed. He sang off key, and yet as best he could, the father began sharing his heart. I love you, he sang. I'm so glad you're my boy. You make me happy. I like the way you laugh. On they went from one store to the next, and quietly the father continued singing off key and making up words that didn't rhyme. The child relaxed and became still, listening to this strange and wonderful song. Finally, they finished shopping and went to the car, and as the father opened the door and prepared to buckle his son into the car seat, the child lifted his head and said, Daddy, sing it to me again. Daddy, sing it to me again. Prayer is a little bit like that. With simplicity of heart, we allow ourselves to be gathered into the arms of the father and to let him sing his love song over us. So the next time your tongue is heavy, and your mind is overwhelmed. 
sigh before God, and let God sing over you. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.